0: So, Galatians, give you a second to get there. Verse 1, chapter 5. Paul the Apostle says, "'Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be, in, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing.'" And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You who become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for, once again, the opportunity to gather here. We never want to take that for granted. But we do pray, Lord, that you would come down from heaven and enter into this space. Give us more of your presence, more of your spirit. Help us to understand what the spirit is speaking to the church tonight. And so, Lord, we pray for your power from on heaven to be able to go out into this world that is lost and does not know you. And give your words and see life transformation. in Jesus' name. Amen. Freedom. Freedom. A lot of people right now, I can tell you for a fact, are devastated or elated because of they think, they think that there are certain peoples that will be in power to give them more of what they truly need. And so some people have views of the government, right, that we should have government kind of take more control of things to be able to help those that are hurting or or in need and not able to help themselves and, and don't have the know-how or the wherewithal, the impoverished people. And then there are other people that think the best case for the society is for them to be able to be autonomous and govern themselves. And so people have different views and then... From there, they vote, and they have laws and, and things like that. But what I want to encourage you with, it, with tonight is you don't have to be devastated or elated because of who's in power, that is a human, because beyond all that, God has given us true liberty that no human being can give us. Not to say government doesn't matter. Not to say laws don't matter. Voting doesn't matter. But what I'm trying to show you tonight and what I think the scriptures teach us tonight is do not dismiss and forget that Christ Jesus has given us something that no one else can purchase for us. So verse one, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This is a freedom that the world cannot take away and cannot give you. But let me ask this question. How many of you really, if you're honest and you're not putting on the church front, how many of you actually feel free? How, much, how many of you are experiencing liberty in Christ? Maybe those that don't are struggling right now with addiction. And it's hard for you to wrap, wrap your mind around what it looks like to be free in Christ, but I'm still struggling with addiction. Or... There's limits to your opportunities because of what has happened right now with COVID. You're not able to get the job that you wanted. You're not able to go date as you used to be able to meet people at the bar or whatever. Or you feel indebted with your student loans. You're trapped. There's no freedom. It doesn't matter what kind of job you get. You'll never be able to pay it back. And yet here, we're told that beyond all all those things, you could be in debt, you could be addicted, and you can be limited in your opportunities and still have liberty in Christ. Is that some kind of superficial thing where it's like you're down and you're depressed and then you're supposed to like look at the Bible and go, oh, okay, I know. I know my life is a wreck. I know everything around me is crumbling. My future that I had envisioned is being completely just, it's vanishing. And I just look at the scripture and go, oh yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm going to heaven when I die and I have liberty in Christ, yay. Is that the kind of liberty that Christ wants us to have? What does this even mean? Well, let me read that same verse to you in the NLT, New Living Translation. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. What does that mean? That means that many people may truly be free in Christ, but get tied up. Because they've lost sight of what that means. They've put themselves back in slavery. And maybe that's why you don't feel that freedom tonight. Maybe that's why you feel down and depressed and anxious and all those things. Because you're saying, oh yeah, I know I'm, I'm free in Christ. But you're not truly experiencing and enjoying the freedom. It was, it was said that actually, Dale Moody talked about as an illustration for one of his sermons that when the emancipation proclamation was given and the slaves were legally free, many people still acted as slaves because their slave owners tried to trick them and say, well, I mean, that's, that doesn't really apply over here. You know, that's not even legal. It's going to get overturned and, and all those things. And so they were tricking slaves to staying as slaves, even though legally they were free. And I think that's how the enemy of our soul likes to mess with us though we have freedom in Christ, everything is available to us. He makes us think that deep down inside, we're actually still slaves. But John chapter eight, verse 34, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He said, you're not, A slave, you're a son. A slave lives in the house because in those days, it wasn't like slavery that we know in the past 100 years, but slavery in the days of uh, the New Testament looked like when you weren't able to pay your debts, they didn't have credit cards, so you would become an indentured servant. For seven years, you would work to pay off your debt. So while you were there, you were basically a servant to the family that you were in debt to, and you didn't really belong there, You're just paying off your debt. But if you're a child, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, you do belong in that house and therefore you abide. You live there forever. There's security that's found in being a child. So what does this mean? If Christ is truly going to set us free from the power of sin, what does that mean? Well, what does that even mean? Freedom from sin. Like I'm not going to sin ever again. Once I believe in Jesus, it's just all over. Well, If you back up in John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide or live in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus says, by knowing the truth, you will be set free. In other words, if you wanna conquer deception and lies, of being told you're slaves, you need to start speaking truth to the lie. A lot of us are operating in slavery because we have forgotten the truth of our standing in Christ. We've allowed ourselves to be deceived by other people or the ways of the world. And so we forget about the benefits we have to, become, to, to be called a disciple of Jesus. So by freedom, this is what we mean. Number one, We have the freedom to become all that God has created us to be. When you are set free in Christ, you have the freedom to be all that God has created us to be. I always encourage people to take notes because I forget these things, but these are one of the things that you don't want to forget because you will forget it. When you think about what sin does, sin dehumanizes people, it makes you less of who you really are. It's kind of like dementia. Over time, that person loses their personality. They forget things. They forget faces and names. It starts taking away a lot of their intellect. And sin does the same thing to us. It makes us forget about who we truly are. And as it does that, it's almost like if you've ever been with a friend when they're drunk or when they're high, the person that they are acting to be in that moment isn't really them. And sin does the same thing because we have a sin nature. And most of the sin that we commit is not conscious sin. When I lie, when I get angry and I say things I shouldn't say, it's not like I planned it out. Like, okay, at this moment, I'm going to be really fed up. And then I'm going to say these precise words. When I lie, it's not because I planned out, you know what? In order to cover my bases, I need to make sure that I deceive as many people as possible. Most of it just seems to come out of us naturally. And that's because we have a sin nature inside of us. And so the scary thing about it is sin is doing exactly what we want to do. So when people talk about freedom in the world, a lot of times they say, like, you need to be who you really are deep down inside. Like, look down at your feelings and really see, like, what the true you actually wants and then chase after that. But here's the problem. I have conflicting feelings about everything. I have conflicting thoughts. How many of you have major decisions and you can't make up your mind? And yet we're supposed to dig deep down inside and look at the truest part of ourselves and then from there, make a determination as to what we really want. But here's the news. And this is the reality that Christians and non-Christians realize. We have two natures inside of us. We have something that's longing for God, which is the spiritual realm, and something that the Bible calls the flesh, which is this sinful nature inside of us that desires actually to do evil and to be selfish. For the minute that children are born, ask me how I know. I have children. They act selfishly. No one has to teach them that. I don't have to teach my kids how to lie. And in fact, I'm often amazed how clever they are at deceiving people, although no one's taught them. It's because we're all born with a propensity to sin, and we become slaves to it. But Titus chapter two, verse 14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Here's what this means. Sin dehumanizes people, right? It makes you less of who you really are. Some people are afraid of becoming Christians precisely because they're thinking that they're going to become like some weirdo, like a televangelist. Someone they see on TV and they're just like, that's the last thing I want to be, is be somebody else. But when you become a believer in Jesus, you don't become somebody else. You become truly you, who you were designed and created to be. Some of you know Joe Fisher someone who was here doing our high school youth ministry, but up until he was a sophomore in high school, he's a troublemaker. He was a kid that the old youth pastor, Andy Dean, we we're on a retreat and he looks at Joe Fisher kind of like walking around on a retreat and he says, have you ever seen someone whose spirit was so closed off to God? And I was like, I don't know. I, just, I didn't think it was that bad, but, but he was kind of like notorious for causing trouble. And then he becomes a Christian. Now we, we know who Joe is, right? Loves the scriptures, loves the Lord. Joyful, peaceful, exhibits his, for the spirit. And it's hard to imagine Joe like that. And it's because Joe has really become who's, who, who he's designed to be in Jesus Christ. Like all the plans that God had for him, he's entering in because he's just walking in obedience. And on the opposite end, I've known many people who have, whose lives have ended short because they were addicted to drugs or alcohol or they pursued different things and their life is a wreck. And you and I know sin causes destruction. It makes you less of who we were designed to be. Beyond that, it's an offense towards the holy God who created you. Imagine I just cursed my parents and said, forget you. I'm just, I'm gonna do everything possible to destroy you, take your money, and take everything that, um, everything that you've worked so hard for in your life, not only would that be wrong and sinful, but there's also a level of ingratitude. I owe it to my parents to be honorable. I owe it to my parents to be loving because they, they gave birth to me and they gave me everything that I had and what I needed as I was growing up. So we kind of owe it to our parents, even if they do nothing else. How much more do we owe it to an infinite God who's given us everything, including our parents, to honor him and to worship him and to love him? so there's many people I've known, besides my own personal experience, that as I choose to follow Jesus, he takes me down a path that I never would have planned for myself. My plans were either to be a musician, an actor, or photographer, and it was none of those things. And I'm glad it was none of those things I enjoy good art, I enjoy making music, I enjoy different kinds of things, but God has led me down a path to tap into why he put me on this, this planet. And I wonder if you know the, the answer to that question. Why are you here? What were, your, what were you born to do? And for, for me and for many people here today, because we know our creator, we truly do know ourselves. So without God's spirit, this kind of transformation is impossible because God has to give you a new heart. Sin corrupts everything. It's almost like, have you ever tried like washing out a Gatorade bottle and then putting water in it? No matter what you do, it's always going to taste like Gatorade. And sin is kind of like that. None of you are moved by, by that illustration. I thought it was pretty clever. So number one, Freedom to become all that God has created us to be. Number two, here's what the freedom is from. It's freedom from living to atone for our faults. So not only do we have freedom in Christ to be who we are really created to be, but we also have freedom from constantly living to measure up and to atone for our sins. I'm going to use another illustration and hopefully this one's more impressive. Now that I've been cooking over this past year, learning in quarantine, I learned that if you're cooking raw chicken, you need to make sure that you sanitize all the surfaces you use, wash your hands, things like that. Now, if I don't wash my hands and I'm cooking with raw chicken, I'm making chicken cutlets or whatever, I'm putting eggs on it and and breadcrumbs and whatever, um, It doesn't matter how long I go being able to organize different dishes and salad and whatever else. I need to wash my hands. Otherwise, I'm contaminating everything that I touch. And sin is also like that. No matter what you do, you will continue spreading the contamination with your sin. As you try to atone for your sin, you try to make it right, you still are doing it from a selfish motive. There's something inside of us that's constantly driving us and it's not God when you are living in sin. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So what you need is for Jesus to clean you and to wash you. That none of us lived a perfect life, right? All of us have make, made mistakes. Even if you determine from this point forward, I will never sin again. What about every other sin that you've already committed? And so it's almost like you need a do-over. You need to live a perfect life. You owe it to God. He created you for a purpose. And we all straight away from that, we owe it to God to live that perfect life. But we can't, we can't undo it. So instead, Jesus Christ lived that perfect life in our place and is willing to take that sacrifice for you. And all you have to do is trust and believe in his perfect work that you can't do it, I can't do it, but we need to trust, and then you can be cleansed of all your sin and all unrighteousness. But that's only verse one. So let me talk a little bit about what we're reading here. Paul says to the church at Galatia that they are to be in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's what he says, right? So in that day, there were people called the Judaizers. They were people that called themselves Christians, but they said, you still have to keep the 613 Old Testament laws, the ceremonial laws. There are things that you have to do that are Jewish, but they're still in God's word, and therefore you must obey them. And one of those things, awkwardly enough, was circumcision. So in the Jewish law, that was part of the process. As a Jew, you had to be circumcised if you're Jewish male. And so there's this fight over it saying, well, if we're Christians now and we believe in Jesus, do we just not listen to those laws? Well, some of them are saying that you, you, you still should get circumcised, so maybe we should. But he says in verse two, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Why does he say that? He says, Christ will profit you nothing. I'll give you another illustration. All these are just like random illustrations from like the things I do mostly now, which is just being a dad. But hopefully they're useful. So, here's the thing that I did. like I do grocery shopping uh most of the time and 100% of the time I always have coupons and I always forget them in the car. Every single time. I don't know what it is about coupons. I just always forget them. Which is why I use the Ibotta app. If you want a referral, talk to me afterwards. Um And so if I go into the store and I buy the product, it does me no good that I have a coupon so I could get the thing for free if I just brought the coupon in. I paid with it with my own money, which means that the coupon is invalid. In a similar way, when you try to add to Christ's perfect work, it actually subtracts from his perfect work because you're not applying it. When you trust in Jesus, you're saying nothing else can atone for my sin. It's kind of like you owe a $2 million debt. And you're like, oh, I just, you know, I'm so grateful that Jesus wants to pay my $2 million debt, but I'm gonna give in two bucks. I'm gonna give him $10. It's insulting. You can't do it. I can't do it. The only thing we can do is surrender and say, God, I'm trusting in your perfect work. So Paul says, if you're gonna revive the Old Testament law, the thing we died to, you're gonna have to keep the 613 laws of the Old Testament. Look at what he says in verse three. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law, 613. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt, attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So how could we say that we completely rely on God's saving work by faith and then in the end, we're just adding to it? So adding to the gospel subtracts from the gospel. Now, maybe your question that you're thinking right now is, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to follow the imperatives of Scripture? When the Bible gives commands and tells you to do stuff, aren't you supposed to listen? Isn't that the point? We read the Bible and we're supposed to be better people when we leave? Well, it depends. Why do you do it? Why do you obey the commands? Imagine that my oldest son, Cruz, hug me. And I asked, why do you hug me? And he goes, well, I, I'm supposed to. I was told that I need to hug you because that's what a, a child does, right? Like, <laughs> this is weird, strange. I'm hoping that he hugs me because he loves me. And so it is as we are God's children that we obey because we love him, not because we have to or we're supposed to or we're afraid that he's not going to love us anymore if we don't obey him. Here's where people confuse justification with sanctification. Justification is you positionally before God. Where do you stand? Well, when I believe on Jesus Christ, right then and there, you are perfect in his eyes, positionally. It's it's a judicial term. It's a legal term. You go to court, the judge says you are free to go. That's it. There's nothing else you have to do. But sanctification is a process. It takes time. But sanctification is not for you to be accepted by God. Sanctification is for fellowship with God. If you're not a Christian, those are a lot of big words. Sanctification just means that every day you're becoming more like Jesus and you're following His will for your life. You're becoming more like Him. But sanctification takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And all of us, are going to be having this lingering sinful nature until the day Jesus comes back. But a lot of us are looking at sanctification to wonder, am I really saved? If I'm still stumbling in sin, if I'm still falling back into those old habits, does that mean that I was never truly saved, that God truly doesn't love me? And that's where we get it wrong. When we look at the commands of scripture, the imperatives of scripture, it should always be out of this joyful heart to love God, to serve him because of all that he's done for us. So this is why people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they're like, okay, all right. So if I get punched in the face, I'm supposed to turn on the other cheek. Check that, okay. And if somebody asks for my coat, I'm supposed to give them another coat. Okay, got that one. Someone says, hey, you wanna go for a run? We'll run a mile. I'm like, I'll do two miles because that's what the Bible says. And they are just kind of checking it off. But that's completely wrong the way that you're supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount is to see examples of what it looks like when a life is completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's going to drive you to do all kinds of different things that you never would have planned on and nobody asked you to do. He's going to ask for you, like God's Spirit's going to ask for you and put on your heart to minister to people that no one else is asking you to do. Like no, one, no one's asking for you to start ministries, to give money away to the poor, like... There will be things that you feel compelled to do all because you have fellowship with God and he speaks to you and he's directing you. But if you're underneath a legalistic relationship with God where you're always fearing punishment, does God really love me? Then you're going to be completely frozen and limited from ever engaging in the life of the spirit. You won't do anything fun. Your relationship is going to be depressing. Because you're always in fear of God. But we know that perfect love casts out all fear. So whoever fears has not been yet made perfect in love. That's what 1 John says. So let me ask you this question. This is worth asking. Does this sound like your experience? Pay attention, okay? I'm going to read to you the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel like that? Does that feel like your experience? Like my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Being a Christian, piece of cake, simple. Or do you feel like you're under the weight of obligation and, and you're constantly judging yourself and saying, I'm still not the person I'm supposed to be. I know I'm still messing up. I'm still making mistakes. Is that how you feel? Because that means that you're once again becoming entangled under the yoke of sin. And you need to tonight stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has set you free. How silly would it be if I'm looking at my newborn, three months old, and I'm saying, really, she can't walk yet? What's wrong with her? She's three months old. I mean, Charlie walks and he's he's like two months old, right? Can we see God looks at you as his child and every step you take, he's cheering you on and he's overjoyed at the fact that you simply love him and want to obey him. So here's the appeal. Every Christian is free, but not all Christians feel it. Every single Christian is free. Period. You believe in Jesus? You are free. The Emancipation Proclamation. Today, you are free. Liberty. You are going to heaven when you die. Yes. But you can experience that freedom today. As long as you're not tricked into believing the lie again. That where you are now proves that somehow, some way, God doesn't love you. How many Christians stay depressed because they still feel the need to conquer sin? But in contrast, verse 5, Paul says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Here's what he's saying. When you have this mindset of liberty in Christ, even when you fail, this is what you do. <sighs> Lord, I'm so sorry I messed up. I know, I know this is truly not who I'm supposed to be, right? But I can't wait till the day I don't, I, I don't do these things anymore. And I know it's coming. I know that as your spirit's working in me, I'm always a work in progress. And every day that, that approaches that you return is a day that I have the opportunity to become Less of whoever the sinful nature wants me to be and more of who you want me to be. We have that opportunity and we get to speak it out in hope, knowing that if Jesus was able to secure our salvation, he will raise us, raise us up to the last day. But it says in verse six, faith working through love. So this is, this is kind of the like surprising thing. Remember, all throughout the Bible, people are looking at, oh, we got to fulfill the 613 commands of the Old Testament, right? We have to do all these different things. We have to offer the sacrifices. And there's going to be a Messiah who's going to save us, right? He's going to be a political Messiah. He, he's going to overthrow Rome and he's going to do all these things. And then Jesus dies on a cross and then everyone goes, well, that wasn't in the plan. Even though Jesus said many times, I I got to die. I'm going to die. Everyone's confused like, Jesus died? What does this mean? But they couldn't see that Jesus had a bigger plan and wasn't just political. It was salvation of the entire world to take care of the biggest problem, which is sin, and set us truly free. And when he did that, it's the biggest surprise because now we have this entire realm in which to be free. And that is the life of the spirit and the freedom to love God. Before that, because of our sinful nature, our sinful heart, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, here's the one thing you can never do. Here's a good pop quiz question. If you're not a believer in Jesus, are there moral acts that I can do that you can't? I can, I can think of one. What is that one? Love God. I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Well, of course they don't believe in God and they don't love God. But really that is the pinnacle of all morality to first love God. If you don't love God, you love something else. And whatever else that thing is, that will drive your entire life. That will become your effectual God. And so now money or relationships, opportunities, success, that will be the driving force behind every single thing that you do. Then it becomes altruistic. I help this person because it's better for humanity, it's better for me, it's better for my resume, I look better. But when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, now you die to self. It's not about me anymore. Now I have the power and freedom to no longer love myself and love somebody else. This is why the Bible says, true love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus Christ laid down his life. And then we look at that sacrificial What Jesus did with his sacrifice, and we emulate it in the way that we live. We live sacrificially because Jesus gave us everything, and so we give everything for our neighbor. So let's look at verse 7. Paul says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul says that someone in particular has been giving them this deception, that they have to still obey some of these ceremonial laws or whatever. And so they're entangled again with the yoke of sin feeling like they have to measure up or whatever. But here's, here's the thing. You will have friends with good intentions that tell you complete lies. You'll have friends that tell you um, how to get the most out of life, what you should do morally. And some of them might be messengers from Satan himself, even though they don't even know it. So how can you tell? How can you, like... People have a really hard time like doing fact-checking right now. How do you fact-check truth? The answer is the Bible. That's it. You and I have our feelings about things, but we always bring it back to the word of God because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I know that's like a presupposition. So if you're an atheist or agnostic or a seeker, you're probably like, well, yeah, but that's only because you already believe that Christianity is the truth. Well, investigate it. And what I find, it's the weirdest thing. I've talked about this before. The weirdest thing is everybody's so adamant about fact-checking and sources and all the stuff when it comes to politics and science and all that stuff. And then it comes to religion, and they're like, oh, who who knows? No one can really know, just maybe. It, like, I'll give them, like, resources. Have you read the Bible? They're like, no, nah, no, nah, I Yeah, I'm not really into that. I mean, like, no one can ever really know. How would you know unless you actually read it? Like, why not? And so... Sometimes I think maybe it's because it's overwhelming because there's over 2,000 different religions. So they're thinking, I don't have time to investigate Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these different sects of whatever. And so you look at that and you get overwhelmed and you just don't want to bother exploring any of those things, which is not that different from news sources, but that's besides the point. Um, Here's what I would say. Let's say, maybe you've heard this illustration, especially if I was your youth pastor. Let's say that I'm trying to get in a house, and I have a set of 2,000 keys, all, you know, shaped differently, and all of them have different beliefs, right? They're not the same religion. They all have different. So I have a set of 2,000 keys. Only one of them will open the door. And let's say by sheer luck, I just happen to find the right key, and I just put it in the, in the doorknob, and it opens the door. Once I open the door, do I have to look through the other 1,999 keys? No. Because I've opened the door. And if Jesus Christ truly is the truth and I've found it, I don't have to search out. Like, I will investigate. I'm always open to other discourses and, and people showing me what they believe is evidence. But th- at the end of the day, I believe in Jesus, not just because I have science to back it up, not just because I have different scriptural things I can look at and, and critics, but because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. My life doesn't make sense unless God is real. And if he isn't real, then the universe has a lot of explaining to do. Because I pray, and then God answers. I make decisions based on what he says in his word. Like every other day, I'm having this weird coincidence of this thing happens, that thing happens. Like I pray, and then I journal, and I see God revealing more of his truth. So if God is not real, then my life is all kinds of whacked out. But for you, maybe you've never even attempted to investigate And I think that there is a spirit of Satan that tries to keep people in darkness and away from the truth. So why not look into whether or not the Bible is the word of God? Verse 11, Paul says, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? That the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now that's pretty graphic. So he basically says, I wish that the people who are teaching you that you have to be circumcised to be saved would castrate themselves. That's basically what it says in the Greek. Pretty extreme. I don't know if I could ever say that like, without getting in trouble as a pastor. So I don't think I will say that. I'll just quote him when he says that. But you can see the intensity of which Paul is saying it is so important that we don't keep people in deception into thinking that they still have to earn God's favor because they already have it. And that's kind of the driving force behind all this kind of sin or people leaving the faith and saying, I can't do it, it's too difficult. I I can't be the person that God wants me to be. So verse uh, 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I kind of read that a little fast, but we can't miss this. This is like, this is a little different than what we've been talking about tonight, but it's really, really important. What Paul is saying here is you're called to liberty, but liberty is not an opportunity for the flesh. Like, Your good works are not a requirement for you to be saved, right? But whenever we talk about Christian liberties, isn't it true that people talk about like, what am I allowed to do? I'm allowed to do this and don't judge me. But he says, use your liberty as an opportunity to serve and love other people. That's what he's saying. It's like, there aren't any limits. Like you're in, right? It's based on what Jesus did, not on what you do, but use this liberty, this freedom to fully walk in the Spirit and loving other people. That's what he says. But notice how he closes in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. How, how many churches does that verse describe? People just biting and devouring one another because they're so fixed on this is my liberty, my rights, I'm allowed. You can't tell me what to do. And that's exactly what the enemy of our souls wants is Christians fighting other Christians. And the world looks on and says, there's no way I ever want to be a Christian. I'm happier being unsaved than I, I would be being one of them. So here's, here's how we're going to close tonight. Verse 16. So Paul sums it up by saying this. How do you practice that freedom in Christ? He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul says, if there's ever a time that you're feeling tempted and you're like, oh, what do I do? I I think I'm going to give in. Walk in the spirit. Anytime there's an opportunity to sin, there's an opportunity to do right. But that means you walk in the spirit. And if you're walking in the spirit, it's impossible to do the things of the flesh. And here's why it might be a good idea to practice fasting, get into the secret place, to be in prayer, intercessory prayer, in the secret place. Because it's impossible to sin at the same time as you're being selfless in a place where no one's gonna see you And praying to God. Like some people in theology kind of would debate about like, is there ever a time that people can commit acts that are are free from sin totally? And I would say there's a couple instances I can think of. One is if you pray in the secret place, it's impossible for you to sin because you don't get any credit. There's no selfish motivation and you're just spending time with, with Jesus. So do that. Spend time in the secret place. Get to know Jesus. Spend time in his word. And if you do that, you're led by the spirit. You are not under the law. So, so let's look at, this is probably better to close on. Verse 24 and 25 of Galatians 5. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, Let's also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That is like the perfect picture to close on, isn't it? Just envision like you're you're living in bondage, you're living in slavery, you're constantly caught up by your sin. Just picture those sins crucified to the cross with Christ. The passions and desires, they're gone. And now it's just recognizing. It's not like a future action. It's already been done. It's a past action. And so now the question is, will you live in that reality? Not get tricked into believing that you still have to fix it or atone for it. But since it's been done, to live your life in gratitude for what Christ has done for you. Let's pray.